Hello, my friend. Jeff C. here with a great new resource that I put together just for you. It's a complete database of all the tools that I use to create content and run my business. I've got apps, software, hardware, and even my favorite AI tools. It's easy to find what you need and tells you exactly how I'm using them in my business. To get access to my toolbox, just go to jeffc.com forward slash toolbox. That's J-E-F-F. S is in Sam, I-E-H. That's I before E, especially in C. That's how my mama had me learn it. So go check it out. And if you haven't heard me say it in a while, I appreciate you listening, my friend. And now, on with the episode. Keeping you up to date on the world of social media. Industry experts. Innovators. Creators. Storytellers. And the latest social media tools, tips, and tactics. This is Social Media News Live. Hello, folks. Welcome to Social Media News Live. I'm Jeff C., and you're not. And I'm Paul Gatter, and this is the show that keeps you up to date with the world of social media and so much more. Do you want to know how to captivate an audience with your virtual presentations? Well, maybe you want to discover how to manage a solo business effectively using innovative tools like Notion. Or maybe you're eager to transform your online interactions into experiences for your audience they won't forget I know that I want those things. So if you're like me, then today's episode is a much watch for you. We're excited to host Kat Mulliville, a trailblazer in virtual presentations and a thought leader in business management using Notion. Kat's going to share her experiences, some provide some great insight and offer some practical tips for creating incredible online experiences. So sit back, clear your schedule, clear your minds and get ready for this week's episode of Social Media News Live. Kat, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. I'm, I really appreciate being invited to talk today. So thank you. Yeah. It's, and you could just tell already she's a master presenter. So this is going to be fun. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's beauty and the beast, but don't call Paula beast in front of him. He gets really upset about that, <laughs> but uh, we're going to be uh, talking uh, about this all day today. So ask your questions once again, because we have this great uh, presenter in the house for us. So if you don't know who Kat is, she is a skilled trainer and speaker who teaches people how to create more engaging and professional online presentations. She has over 15 years of experience leading workshops and programs. And after being forced into a transition uh, to the virtual format, Kat has learned how to leverage tools and techniques to stand out as a virtual presenter. She is also a Notion ambassador and loves to help other creators and solopreneurs stay organized with Notion. Kat, I am so excited. These are two things that I am really passionate about. So thank you once again for being on the show today. Yeah. Oh, I, let's let's get into it. What do you want to sure. discuss? <laughs> but first, I have to talk about our our sponsors, the amazing oh, okay. people over at Ecamm. They're the ones who sponsor the show. I get so excited about my guests. Half the time I forget to mention them, but you can find out more about them at socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. They are what makes this show possible. That's what we're using. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure, today. But also, do not forget, you can meet the folks at Ecamm and Paul and me uh, next Wednesday, January 24th. If you'd like to know more about that, sneak in under the wire go to jeffc.com forward slash podfest meetup we're going to be meeting in hollywood studios right before podfest starts it's going to be so much fun uh you can pick paul's brain like it's going to be he knows everything there is to know about email and building uh community so you need to come there and check him out jeffc.com forward slash podfest meetup all right here we go so let's start with this first question cat because um i know that i mean you had to switch kind of in the middle of the pandemic to doing this stuff online but I really want to ask, you know, when we're talking about doing this virtually, how do you keep an online audience engaged during your presentations or 
live sessions, what are your kind of go-to tools or hacks that you use? Well, I think the first one sort of snuck up on me because I didn't know it was a thing until I maybe a few months into presenting is that the camera steals some of your energy. And so mm. I do remember in 2019, so bef before the pandemic, before everyone had to go online, I was recording some content, just short video clips for my website. And I remember watching back and thinking, huh, I, I swear I had more energy. Like I really thought <laughs> I was more into this than what I'm watching back. This is kind of dull and flat. What is happening? And they wouldn't learn until 2020 that the camera dulls your energy and you have to compensate. So you sort of have to dial things up and turn it up a little. So that was one of the biggest things for me to learn. And it was it just addressed some of the things I had noticed. And the reason I start with that is because as soon as you understand that the camera starts to rob your energy, then you understand that you need to compensate. And I think that makes a huge difference because if everybody is showing up like they would in person, it's going to be just a duller, less exciting version, more muted, and mm -hmm. you have no idea that's happening. And so that's a really big deal. And I think something that people can focus on right away is get your energy levels up so people actually know that you're interested in the thing <laughs> that you are talking about. So there's a, but there's a balance between that. Cause you don't want to come across as like a used car salesman. Like when, <laughs> when I watch your videos and see you talk, you remind me a lot. And I've always said this, like about Amy Porterfield, she always sounds like she's smiling. Even if you can't see her, you, you have that feeling that she's always smiling. And then when you see her video, she is, is, is that something that you teach? Like, is it something with your facial expression? So you're not, you're not too over the top. I mean, how do you find that balance? That's okay. So an interesting fact is you actually, yes. Okay. So I've been told I have resting smile face, which is probably <laughs> better good. than the alternative. And I think that is partly a natural disposition, but, but you actually don't want to smile too much while you're talking. You want to open your mouth. So I also am a vocal coach. And if you're, if you're smiling really wide while you're talking, you can tell that the noise starts to come out of your nose a little bit more. I maybe sound uh. a little bit more nasal if I'm smiling the whole time I'm talking. But if you actually open your mouth and you project, you allow that sound to really come out and that sound to be more full and project as well. So you don't always want to be smiling, but yes, I absolutely smile a lot. I would say for me, it's not so much that I'm focusing on, I need to look happy, but I am trying to talk about things I genuinely care about. I mm. don't want to spend hours creating content or teaching topics about things that do not bring me any interest or that they just don't light me up. And so I think that's important is to have a nice match of what are you talking about? And if you care, if you're interested, I think your audience is going to catch on and realize that oh, maybe this is interesting. Maybe I should care as well. So you're sort of, you're sending that message and that feedback that this is, this is pretty cool. And you're trying to, you're trying to take your voice and send match the message to what you're actually sharing with your audience. Mm, that is, that is super helpful for us who are trying to figure out this live video thing and create uh, videos. And once again, make sure you guys go to Kat's website it's when we bring it up on screen so you can actually go watch some of her training videos because they're really, really, really good. So if you want to learn some more about her, make sure you guys go to her website and then over to her YouTube channel. Well, I know you had a question. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have, that I've talked to have the same 
fear is, and that's the technical side of it. And being on camera and what you're talking about, you know, being engaged with your audience and, and being enthusiastic about the topic, a lot of people can't even get there because they're so afraid of all the technical. So wh what are your recommendations there? And, you know, how do you get over that technical hurdle? Yeah. I mean, one of them is that you need to put in the reps. I think a lot of people just hope that they can learn their way into being more confident and it just doesn't work that way. You have to just keep showing up, getting through it. Watch your, watch your videos. What did I do there? What can I do better? And the more you do it, the more comfortable you are because as you said on the tech side, so that scares a lot of people. How do I handle the tech? Well, that will get better each time you do it. Even when I introduce new tech into my workflow, I'm a little nervous when I start mm -hmm. using it. But the more I show up, the more I keep doing it, then I get more comfortable. And you can focus on those little tweaks. You can focus on those improvements, but you have to put in the reps. You can, though, do some things on your own before you show up in front of an audience. I mean, one of the things I used to do is have a, an alarm that would go off every day around noon. It was just my phone. It's just a little reminder with an alarm and I would have a different question. And when that question would pop up on my phone, I would just take 30 seconds and practice, practice speaking. How would I say this to an audience? And there, so there are things you can do on your own without being in front of an audience, but you still have to practice being in front of other people and just show up. So if you're putting it off because you're nervous, but I really recommend getting past that and just know that it's going to be rough. The first few ones are going to be shaky. And if you ever want to feel better about yourself, maybe go to some YouTube channels you care about and just look at their videos and, and go to the oldest one first. <laughs> they probably were a little rough unless they've taken it down. Yeah. But a yeah. lot of people leave up their old videos and you can see how far they've come. So I think that's where I might start. That's cool. And uh, one of the things that I just saw a, a great, another YouTuber that we've had on the show before, I really like is Nick Nimmin. And he talks about, that when you're talking to the camera that you really try to talk like you're talking to one person, not like, Hey, everybody, welcome to my show. You know, it's more like, Hey, this is for you. And, and that was really good advice that you're trying to get, you know, that point across, like you're sitting down with your friend talking a little bit, maybe more energy, like you were saying before, but you're talking directly to that person, which is a hard skill to do. Um, and I liked your idea about, um, actually practicing, setting a timer, practicing. Cause a lot of us, you know, we, as soon as we got out of our mom's basement, we went and now we, and we're like in this little world too. And sometimes we don't have that interactivity of speaking yeah. all day and having that time where you're like, okay, how do I, how do I sound? How do I say these words? Some, you know, I thought that's a really great idea as well. And Angie uh, Robertson had a great point. She goes, uh, this is a great tip. She's watching over LinkedIn. She goes, she goes, if I feel like I let my brain go down the rabbit hole, uh, wondering what other people might be thinking, my energy will shift, uh, in a way that's really isn't ideal. So I thought that was a great uh, advice as well that we not really worry about this. And then Gary says, uh, Rick Beto says, address the everyone is quitting YouTube topic by saying he makes videos about what he wants to do when he wants to, he's so authentic. So yeah, this is a great, a tip too about being authentic, Gary. Um, on that note, kind of, Kat, I'd, I'd really want to figure out and kind of pick your brain about how you plan and structure your content for like maximum impact on an online setting. And I know some of it is what they call, and Mike Alton, I think maybe have coined this term, but newsjacking, where something comes out in the news and you make a video or you make a piece of content about it. And I noticed like for the Elgato prompter, you had something that came out, talked about that. How important is it to do that? And how do you work that into your, you know, your plan and structure when you're creating content? 
I have to admit, this is not my strength and it's something that I'm working on. The Elgato prompter was really, it came out of a relationship I have with a couple of people at Elgato mm -hmm. because I've made so many, uh, not so many, but I've made enough content about the stream. I talk about the stream right. deck a lot because I use it for all my presentations. Right. It really helps streamline things. And so that was, that enabled me to start a relationship there. They also know that I have content on my channel about teleprompters and that I'm a huge advocate for teleprompters. So mm -hmm. they reached out to me. So that was fortunate in that I was able to get my hands on one. I was able to try it and then put together a video that was not a typical thing for my channel. Usually I'm going to follow what are the things I think my audience needs to know? What are the things that I'm learning that I think people should know? And also energy is a big thing for me. So <laughs> if I'm not feeling it, I've had, I've had videos that I've put on my schedule. And then when it came time to actually record them, I just, my heart wasn't in it. I just did not care at that time. So I kind of push it down the road. There are some videos that have been pushed down the road indefinitely, but for me, matching my energy is really important. And I'm kind of glad that I'm not a tech YouTuber in the traditional sense of trying right. to cover new released products and all of that, because then your content is driven by external forces and not the internal, what do I think makes sense? What's, what's strategic? So in that way, I've sort of leaned away from the external driving when mm -hmm. I'm talking about something. Now, as I am also a huge Ecamm fan, I use Ecamm basically every day. Right. And so if there is something that's timely, I do want to, I do want to cover it because also I think the audience that has joined me uh, with my channel, I want to make sure that they know about things that are coming along, but I don't do every update and yeah, it's not, I'm not a news jacker, let's just say. <laughs> right, yeah. And I, I do think, I, I'm pretty sure Tom Buck has talked mm -hmm. about this, maybe on his podcast or his channel, where you he's noticed that a lot of YouTube channels are sort of turning into being externally driven by companies. And so because you start to have these relationships with companies and you start to create content about these companies' products, you sort of are at their right. whim almost of when things are being released. And it sort of pushes you into creating a content schedule that maybe doesn't reflect what you would have done before you had that clout or those relationships. And I, th I thought that was really eye-opening to think about the dynamic, about who's really in charge of your channel, who's running the channel. Mm. Is it you or is your channel starting to be run by external forces and what feels good to you? And for me, it feels a little bit better to, right. to have more of that control. And if an opportunity that really aligns with my audience and with what I talk about and with what I care about, like the prompt error, then that's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, that's kind of where I, where I stand on that. that. That's interesting because even if you're like, even some of the YouTubers who are teaching YouTube, they are kind of even stuck in the cycle of, okay, there's new news coming out for YouTube. And that does kind of put force it in their schedule if they want to be top of mind. How yeah. far out do you plan your content? Like if I looked at Kat's content calendar, like, is it to next year? Is it to like next week? How far out do you plan your content? It, I'm going to be honest. It was easier <laughs> earlier on because yeah. when I started, so I started talking about virtual presenting and online presentations in 2021. And at that time, when I 
first started talking about this content, I had a backlog of what I wish I had. What are the videos that I wish I had when I was trying to figure out how to transition all of my workshops online? And that was easy. I was able to fill, I think, 12 to 16 weeks of content. And now sometimes I would get feedback from some of those initial videos, which would prompt another one. It has gotten harder because sometimes <laughs> I think, well, I already, I already did a video on that. And so now it's a, it's much shorter. There's a much shorter runway. So an example would be at the moment, I know for sure two of the videos that are coming up next. Now I was away for a month. I, I took, mm. I took vacation. And right. so I am definitely backlogged. If you look at my channel now, you might think, does she even make content anymore? <laughs> but I know the next two that are coming up, but I did I, yesterday. I asked my email newsletter. I just said, you know, I'm back from vacation, kind of told a different story. And then at the end I did ask what, what kind of content do you wish was on my channel? Because there's a chance that maybe there is sort of a hole that I, mm -hmm. or a gap that I could fill based on the people who actually show up and watch my videos. So now it's a little tighter of a runway, let's say. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's always interesting to me to hear content creators, how far they, they go out. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. What, what tips or techniques do you have to make your videos and your presentations a little more interactive and keep the audience engaged with you? Mm. Well, I think it depends on if it's live or recorded. So when it comes to a live component, I mean, one of the things that I really advocate in any live setting is I call it early, easy, and clear. So early on in your live presentation, have some sort of engagement that is easy to do. So even someone with a headache could do it. Someone who just <laughs> got really bad news and they had to be there, they could do it. And, and clear, really crystal clear instructions because as soon as someone's confused, you lose them. They're just not going to do it. And so if it is easy to do, it's a very low bar, and you give clear instructions, so there's no confusion about what is expected, you will get more people who will actually do it. <laughs> the, bar, <laughs> the bar to entry is low. And then once you've done that, they have now engaged with you. So psychologically, they're, they're sort of showing, I'm in it, they're willing to give this a try. Then later, if you ask things that are maybe a little bit more complicated or that involve a bit more thought, I think they're more likely to come along for the ride because they have already engaged with you. So I like to start with early, easy, and clear. That's, that's something that I try to embed in almost everything I do. And then when it comes to how I structure a session, now mine's a little bit more educational, so it depends on what you're discussing and what you're presenting. But I like to define what's my core content. And then once I know the core content, which when I say core content, I mean, what information do they need? What skills do they need? What beliefs do they need? Or maybe what decisions or choices do they have to make? Once I've narrowed down those key questions, then I'll say, how can I help someone retain this? How can I help them apply this? How can I help maybe assess if they really understand it? And so I will try to devise what's an activity or what's a story, what is imagery? How do I help them really zero in and get this so that in two weeks they can still kind of pull back what actually what was that core concept mm. or that core idea that we talked about so trying to mix it up and ask those questions and every every kind of core piece of content that you're presenting won't necessarily have all those pieces but i think that really starts to drive it home and it helps people engage 
with the information once they've experienced, right after they've experienced it. Mm. So I'm trying to help some of the beginners out who are first getting started. And I know one of the big things that a lot of people struggle with is, okay, what happens if I hit the wrong button or what happens if my, you know, my, I lose live viewers over on YouTube, you know, so what are your strategies, especially when you're doing, let's just not say the live video, but let's say you're presenting for your company or you're presenting a, a webinar what are your strategies for dealing with like unexpected technical issues during an online live presentation? Because I think that's one of the biggest fears that people have. I laugh. And <laughs> I know I honestly think if you can have a sense of humor about what happens, you set the tone. People, people are going to read you. I bet you, if you imagine, if you kind of close your eyes and think back to a time that you have been in a presentation let's even just imagine in person if we just mm -hmm. imagine the time that we're in in person and somebody is struggling at the front of the room and they are frustrated and stressed out and you feel that that just right. oozes out to everyone same thing online if someone is stressed and they're suddenly vi vibrating at this really high frequency and you can you can sense that and the audience just they absorb that energy so if you can take it in stride and know tech will fail Right. It happens. <laughs> yeah. It's just you can never guarantee that tech is going to work. And so you handle it in stride. You accept that this is going to happen and I don't have a lot of control over what's happening. And I just have a sense of humor of, of, of course, this is happening. And a lot of a lot of my YouTube videos were recorded live and I let I leave the errors in and people have told me time and time again that they appreciate seeing me mess up live because it makes <laughs> them feel a little bit better about themselves. Right. Yeah, but also mess ups happen. Now, I think a very big distinction is that people are very forgiving about tech mishaps because tech mishaps happen and the presenter does not have a lot of control. What people are less forgiving about is a lack of preparation. And I mm. think we can tell the difference. I really genuinely think the audience knows if this is a tech mishap or if this is just you not being prepared and so you're fumbling through it right. and that's where you have to put in the preparation because i do think people they know yeah i it's, it's funny how you say people will forgive you know they when you have somebody make a joke about it when you're presenting live i used to do a a, a traveling i was a traveling magi magician at a amusement park and i would actually before i'd get up and do my set is i would screw up the trick on purpose and it was built oh, into it because then yeah. the audience would be like, I, uh, you know, it would be relaxed. They wouldn't think he's like <laughs> David Copperfield if they're trying to make something, you know, and it was, it became a hack that I used because it really did put people at ease. And so I'm not saying screw up your, your tech before you go live, but what you were saying about having that sense of humor, like, uh, you know, well, you know, Paul will be back in a minute after he quits freezing or whatever, you know, uh, joking about it, I think makes it a, a lot more real. And people, like you said, are really can, can connect with that. We've got some more comments that I wanted to bring up real quick. Um, yeah. Mia Voss and Mia has been doing live stuff forever and she does all sorts of fun stuff. She has a bearded dragon. She brings on live sometimes with her. She goes hundred percent humor is the perfect reaction. And uh, Peg said, you know, Peg has been doing uh, live video and with me from like since Google Plus days. There you go, Chris Stone. There's your drink drinking game. Uh, tech changes so much. Yes, it does. And 
And she goes, yes, 100% uh, observation. It's obvious when you are unprepared. So uh, very, very good. It's, and, and, and Chris says, tech mishaps, what are those? Everyone has them. So watching. They even try to help you, Jeff, if you have something in your teeth. Yeah. I I don't know if I've had that happen <laughs> before, but yes, they will let you know. So especially Chris. Um, so let's go, because I want to kind of dive in really quickly to how you switched because there's probably some things you picked up on really quick when you transitioned to virtual presentations from doing your live trainings. It sounds like you were in the, maybe the college setting where you were training people online or business doing online, you know, coaching and training. How did you overcome those? Like what were the biggest things that you were like, okay, I, you mentioned like you have to be bigger online. Like you have to kind of project some more energy. What are some other things that you were like, Oh my, I didn't even think about that until you started doing the virtual presentations? I mean, the I think a couple of the biggest things that come to mind, one is you do not get that same level of instant feedback mm -hmm. of how it's going. And that's really hard. If you have been used to being in a room and suddenly you're on a screen, and even if you can see everyone and you're trying to read their energy, it's just not, It's there's a delay. It's just, it's slightly awkward, even conversations back and forth. Sometimes we can right. talk over each other because there's that slight time delay. And so not being able to read the room, is just tricky. And so you have to lean back and trust your experience of, I think people are going to stay with me. Maybe I need to change things up. And I think, you know, we all know that pattern interrupts and changing things and, you know, changing my overlays and doing those right. things will help visually to keep people paying attention. But I'd say that's one is not getting that feedback. But the second thing that comes to mind right away when you mention that is that typically when you're in a room, yes, someone can be distracted. Maybe they've got their phone or their computer or whatnot. But when everyone's online, they have access to everything else that's <laughs> online and you are competing with people's inboxes, you're competing with people's browsers. And so it's just, it is harder. It is an uphill battle. And so that's where I think trying to capture people's attention at the start, why should I care? Why should I pay attention? Why should I listen to you instead of just catching up on my emails? Because, you know, who's got time? Right, <laughs> so I, right. I think I really do think trying to get people's attention early and then try to keep that as best possible is, I mean, that's, it, it is a really big challenge. I think just to be fair, that's a challenge in person too. Right. Keeping people's attention, getting people to actually want to care and be there. That is a skill, but it there's that extra pressure when everyone's on their computer. Yeah. I, when you do like live show speaking, it's really hard to transition to not getting a laugh or getting, you know, because you even when you're writing your script, you say, yeah, like a break for laughter or whatever. You kind of have that built in. It can be like you're in a box when you first start doing this live stuff. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that's one of the things that it's really hard to do. That's why I have Paul here because I can, <laughs> I can I have somebody to bounce stuff. So you get off. a laugh. <laughs> yes. Right. See, that's yeah. what I needed. Paul's laughs at my jokes. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I loved your tip earlier about, you know, setting a reminder and making yourself answer questions and do this kind of prep and practice every day. What other tips do you have for beginners to really build up their confidence and, and get better at this? Oh, I think, I mean, no one likes to do it, Yeah. but I'm going to say it anyway. Record yourself. Just you know, set up a camera, set up a, a, an empty Zoom meeting, practice, even if it's five minutes, practice your introductions. If you can start strong, you are 
80% of the way there. Practice your conclusions. A lot of times we practice the start and then the end is just so awkward. And so if we can practice any of those main transitions, stories, we all know, we all know that storytelling is so powerful. Stories help people retain things. It helps capture interest. We connect with stories on a much, just a much deeper level, but telling stories is a skill. And mm. please, 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 everyone out there, <laughs> never tell a story for the first time in front of a live audience. It will <laughs> not be good. It just won't. And anytime I've thought I could maybe get away with it, I just I thought about the structure and then I started to tell it. It's just not the same. So practice your intros, practice your stories, practice your outros, and then watch them back. Then do it again maybe try and dial up your energy or change the tone of your voice. Because remember the the sound of your voice is actually what people hear first before they hear the words that you say. And mm -hmm. it literally, the sound travels. So right now I'm speaking to you, it's going into my mic, it's coming out of your speakers, going into your ear. And before it even gets to your prefrontal cortex, it goes through the amygdala, which is the emotional part of your brain. So it's hearing the sound of someone's voice. And that really matters. So I think playing around with what's the emotionality behind my voice? What's the message I'm sending? And how do I actually sound? So when you watch yourself back, you can actually get that feedback and say, okay, how do I sound? Am I in, would I listen to this story? Uh, would I listen to this introduction? So I think those, those are really powerful. And so hmm. watch yourself back. And I know no one likes to listen to the sound of their own voice. <laughs> That's right. Yeah but you will get better faster if you do that. That's good. And especially if you're a podcast, I hate listening to my, and so yeah, Paul, it's the same way. Listen to your voice and editing stuff. Um, the, one of the things that um, you mentioned, you know, practicing, one of the things that I tell a lot of people is, uh, especially with Ecamm, because you have so many cool options that you can do. By the way, they sponsor a show, socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. Perfect segue. Um, but what you can do is practice with the Stream Deck. Like go watch Kat's videos on YouTube on how to use a Stream Deck and then practice. Like don't go live for the first time with the Stream, with the stream Deck because I've got it now. So I've got actually two of them and I have like muscle memory and I have it so I can switch between them. But I would go, I set up a private Facebook group and I would practice into that Facebook group where I could record it. And I practice like, okay, how do I bring on her lower thirds? Okay, where is my call to action? And I would practice trying to switch between them. And that is super important. Even when you're doing, you know, not, not even a live show, but like a, a presentation where you're advancing slides in Keynote or something, yeah. you need to practice those button presses so you feel comfortable. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, I think something people forget is if you are someone who is presenting, let's say on a Zoom meeting and you have a PowerPoint or a Keynote or Google Slides, a clicker, I, mine's in my backpack right now, but if you have just an actual clicker that you would use in a room, you can use that in, while you're online <laughs> yeah, as well. Right. Yeah. And so even if you don't have a Stream Deck or even if you do have a Stream Deck, sometimes it just feels nice to have a handheld clicker that can advance your slides while you're talking so that you can stay focused on what you're saying and not trying to fumble around with your mouse and click on something and accidentally click on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, it gives you that sense of control. And so I, I do actually really like using a handheld clicker sometimes as well. Yeah. Have you ever been to a presentation when they said, we'll advance your slides for you? Have you ever had that? 
Oh my gosh. That's like, no. Next slide. Yes. Next slide. Yeah. yeah. Just no. like, no one no. wants that. No, no one it's, wants that. it's horrible. Um, yeah. So, uh, Peg says she, I practice in the same Facebook group. So yeah, she was probably in there, uh, with me. Um, and, oh, thank you. Kira says I was in person, but your presentation at momentum was really great example of storytelling. Well, thank you, Kira. That is really, it's really hard to trans. And we talked about it a little bit, but transition to storytelling during a live show, it's easier in a presentation, but it, I, it's really hard to work that in. And I, that's why we kind of have that little section before the show where we're like, Hey, what are you doing? Paul just, you know, with his, now, you know, his, his daughter's in the college program. That's a cool story. And so we try to interject that, but we could probably do a little bit better, but thanks for that, uh, Kira. Um, go ahead. What were we going to say? Can I, can I just say something on that is, yeah. I think if you are in a casual online setting and a, and a story pops into your head, that's applicable by all means, but when you are right. trying to use storytelling mm -hmm. as a way to drive home a point, to tie into a lesson, uh, to capture people's attention, that's where the cadence and the tension and how, you know, creating all those elements and not having extraneous details, that's where you really want to refine and practice. But if you're just catching up and you're in a, you're on a live stream and you want to tell a story, but listen to yourself while you're telling the story, because sometimes we just add in just unnecessary details that people start to wander and you lose them. Right. So, right. Yeah. Which I can tend to do. So one of the questions I have also for you, Kat, is I want to know, like, and you mentioned you just took a, a, like a month off, which is great. I think that's very, very important, but how do you balance your creative pursuits with the practicalities of running a business? Because I don't think we talk about that enough as creators. How do you do it? Mm -hmm. I'm still working on it, but I try to make time for things that I love doing that are, have nothing to do with my work. So for, I, I love knitting. Now I almost fell into the trap of, I love knitting. I should start a Twitch stream and knit and talk about like, no, don't, don't turn all of your hobbies into monetization strategies. So there's that. I think the other the other piece is blocking time in your calendar or finding kind of pairing time. So something I did for a while that I, I fell out of practice and I'm going to go back to it is I would pair my lunch break with a piano lesson and oh, I'm not cool. very good at piano. That's why I'm taking lessons, but it was a creative outlet. It was something that has nothing to do with my work and it sort of stretches the brain in a different way and pairing it with my lunch hour made it sort of a nice way to keep consistent with it. So I think trying to trying to just find ways to have other things in your life. Now, when it comes to the actual work, because there is a balance as well of managing and being creative. Okay. I feel like I just froze. Oh, you're back. You're back. Okay. See, we said tech challenges. That's what happens. <laughs> yep. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> I did. I don't know when I when I got lost. I think. Well, so I was starting to say that when it comes to work, there's balancing managing and creative as well, and that's where I, I, early on, I had a lot more time for exploration and fun and discovery. And then when you start to create content about a certain topic, sometimes you can start to feel stale. And so something that I that dawned on me, and I think in the fall, maybe in the summer, is that I wasn't making time for play and I wasn't making time for discovery with the actual craft of what I teach. And so trying to carve out more time. So whether that's Friday afternoons or maybe Thursday and Friday afternoons, just play around with the stream deck, check out what's new, look at other things that might inspire you. Because I notice a big connection with 
my content gets better when I'm feeling personally inspired. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if I'm not, it, it's reflected in the content. So I think trying to make sure that you protect a little bit of time, which is hard. And that means you have to say no to more things in order to protect those creative or exploration times of your calendar. Yeah, that so that is super interesting. One, because I play the piano too, and I'm not very good either. <laughs> I try to do better, but I was doing. I do carving. I do wood carving, and so that's oh, cool. my thing. Like I'll listen to podcasts and do that kind of a like pairing some things together. Uh, and I know like Paul's into disc golf. He's actually actually getting out and doing some exercise. So I think those times give your brain a little rest and let you get those creative juices flowing again. I've noticed a lot of times after carving, I'm like, Oh, I should do a video about that. Or I should have this yeah. person on. And it's really interesting how that, how that works. So thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the things that, but when we go to this, this is a perfect question leading into our next section from Gary, he goes, I am constantly asked for recommendations on webcams, mics, uh, et cetera, by people at work. Is there an easy way to catalog that sort of thing? And I know that you have a tool that um, you even, I think you even had a video or a, an article about how you use it to like do this stuff exactly, like have a list of all your webcams and mics. And so I thought this was a perfect segue to mm -hmm. one of our favorite tools we're gonna talk about is Notion. So yeah. how would you use it for Gary's question there? Well, I, I, there are a couple of ways that I would do that. One is I do like to track my actual tech gear. So what I own, I have a Notion database. And if anyone has never heard of Notion, essentially it is, they call it an all-in-one workspace. Mm -hmm. But the power of Notion is that it has databases. And you can think of it like spreadsheets. They're just more powerful because we can actually have them connect and you can have different databases talk to each other. But I like to think of it as collections. So you can, you can store, collect, gather, these collections of things, and then that helps you to sort them, filter them, you know, view them, interact with them. Examples of collections would be maybe all your gear. That's a collection. Mm -hmm. I can track what gear I have, when I bought it, how much I paid for it, what is it for, is it software, is it hardware, etc. But then other collections could be all of my content, my YouTube videos, they all live in a content database. And I also do have a library that's a collection of content by other people that I either want to mm. consume or that I did consume. And so I can collect YouTube videos, books, articles, uh, you know, Twitter threads, whatever that is. Another one though, when, with this particular question in mind is maybe you have an, uh, and I do have a database that's called tools. So any tool that's recommended by someone that someone says, Hey, you should try this, whether it's something like Descript or Ecamm or any of those, you can gather them in, you can tag it and say what kind of tool it is, why I would use this. I like to tag where I heard about it. So if someone recommended it, I will track who actually told me about this tool and then I will save the link to it. And so I think that's a really great way to start to organize it. And what's nice is you can share that. So I actually do share my tech list. So I have a cat studio gear mm -hmm. and I make that available and I share that with people so they can go on and they can see my database that has all of the gear that I use for my studio setup. And I want to just tell people real quick that um, when you hear database, that sounds scary. That sounds like something yeah. that, you know, Hal yeah. from, you know, 2000 or what, you know, had, but it's not, it's, it's just, you have databases all the time, 
um, for different things and your programs using Excel spreadsheet can be a database. But so when you hear that term database, don't freak out because it is such a powerful tool. In fact, mm -hmm. when I asked for Kat's bio and headshot, she sent me a notion uh, page yeah. that had that right in there. And I'm like, that's genius. I need to start using that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ecamm for their creator camp had an amazing database for the schedule, where to go eat. I mean, all sorts of things. It was so helpful for that event. So don't be scared when you hear the term database because it's very, very powerful. That's why I like to think of it as a collection. It's just, it's, yeah. a, it's a list, but it's more sophisticated because I can sort it. I can see it in different views. I think that's actually probably my favorite part of Notion is that, for example, with content, I can just see a list of all of my content. I can see my ideas. I can see videos I've already published. I can, I can look at that information in multiple ways, but I could also see it in a calendar because I have dates associated with my content. So instead of just looking at a list or a Google spreadsheet, I can actually turn and look at it in a calendar view. I can see it in a timeline view. I can see it in a board view where I have all of the status that, you know, is it an idea? Is it, am I publishing it? Am I editing it? And so all it's just, it really, really, I don't know, for me, the variety mm -hmm. is helpful because we don't interact with information the same way, depending on the stage that we're at. And so that that's really helpful to be able to customize how you see how you interact with all the information that you store and pull into your, your workspace. Yeah. Okay. I've heard Jeff and now you're talking about notion. <laughs> I, and I use a lot of to-do lists and I love the idea. And what you just said triggered me of like, because I end up putting thoughts into my to-do list because I have no other place to capture it. So tell me about your workflow as far as, far as productivity and, and how notion fits that because uh, now you've yeah. even got me curious yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna spend the rest of the day playing with motion now yeah well i actually think a really important thing is to understand the distinction between is this a note or an idea or is this a task so tasks are things that are actionable where there's a very clear step of this is what i'm supposed to do if you put an idea into a task list it's going to cause a little bit of mental friction because it's not actually something that you've either committed to or could see yourself clearly doing because it's an idea. And so I have separate databases. I have a notes and ideas, they're together. So notes and ideas are in one area and then actual tasks, they don't get they don't go into a task until I have decided that's a thing that is most likely happening occasionally they just don't happen but mm -hmm. my intention is there and so am i collecting an idea possibly for the future then it goes in my notes or ideas and then if i'm actually committing to do it then it can go into my task list yeah i think so that to me and i talked about this in momentum and you guys who are at momentum remember me talking about this before the ai stuff is how i use the to create my second brain. And like I use Tomics Frank where I can talk right into my notes app and it'll go into ChatGPT and write questions against it and summarize it and all that stuff and then shoot it to Notion, which is amazing. So uh, there's so many cool things you can do with it. But what, what Kat was saying about capturing that information, I think as creators, that's one thing we have to do is we have to not say, oh, I'll write it down later because we never write it down later. We never do. Yeah. So capturing it in the moment with you, because it's a it, notion works on your iPhone too. So it's not just on your, in your website or a, a program that runs on your computer. You can do it on your phone. Yeah. Doing that saves so much time later on kind of preceding those ideas. Um, Chris Stone has a great question over on YouTube. He goes, how would you suggest using Notion as a podcast agency? 
multiple podcast host clients. He's got multiple guests. How would you kind of use Notion for that? So this is where there are some limitations to Notion at the moment when it comes to managing multiple clients, let's say. So it's really great for sharing individual pages or sharing an entire database with people. It is harder if you're trying to parse out, I only want these people to see these pages and I only want these people to see these pages. So at the moment, it's really great for sharing individual things or if you share stuff and don't mind that they could technically access everything. So I'll just, I'll just precursor. So now for people who aren't very familiar, Notion has two ways to share a page. You can share something to the web. So the example of when I sent Jeff my, my bio, my headshots, my description, that's in a Notion page and I say publish to web and I can send that link to anyone that I'm gonna be a guest on their podcast or live stream. What's the other way that you can share a page is you can actually invite a specific person to a page. Any of the pages below that, they will, uh, they will automatically adopt permission. So if I have a section of my workspace called podcast, so maybe I have a whole bunch of different things, right. but I have a page called podcast. If I, let's say I invite Jeff to my podcast page, then Jeff is going to have access to technically everything that lives within that. So if I have sub pages, if I have databases in there, if I have invited Jeff, then all of a sudden Jeff, that will show up in his Notion space as a shared page. And so you really do have to think about permissions. And what's tricky is let's say you have a bunch of podcast tasks that, or, or maybe podcast deliverables for multiple clients you could share an individual page and that will work. So maybe you just have one page for your client and everything on that page they can access, but nothing else. But let's say you have three or four deliverables in one database and you wanna share just those deliverables. You might think, I'm just gonna create a database that's filtered, a view of this database that's filtered just to client A, and then I'll invite that client. But as soon as you start to click on those pages, they can actually sort of follow a, follow the crumbs and get back and see the whole thing. So now all of a sudden they could see all of the client deliverables in that database. So there are limitations. Notion is well aware that this is one of the most highly sought after features is can I gatekeep mm -hmm. my pages so that I could actually work with multiple clients in one database because it's annoying to have five different client databases when you wanna maybe see what are all the deliverables I have to work on this week. You don't wanna to have to go to five different databases. You wanna see it all in one, but there are some limitations. And so I just, I wanna express that because I think that's right. an important thing to understand when you're sharing from your own workspace. Right. Chris, one of the things, and I'll be more than happy sometime to get on a call with you and talk and show you what I've done for like guys, a podcast is I actually have um, him set up and I don't share anything with him because this is all for me. Like it's all my task, what episode yeah. it is, what deliverables I've given out. That's really handy for that. If I wanted to share something with him, I'd, I'd like, like Kat was saying, I'd share a different page than that. But for me to stay organized as a producer and an editor, that it's, it's just invaluable. And I'd be more than happy to share that and let you look at that. Um, I use, uh, Thomas Frank's, uh, ultimate brain and creators companion. Uh, Gary just went and he was like, um, he was not doing what we didn't want him to do. We talked about people being distracted during the show. He says, wow, this catalog template is awesome. So he was over looking at notions, uh, catalogs uh, pages or the templates, but what are some of the templates that you like to use, um, 
cat for your like for solopreneurs and small business? Do you have all custom ones or do you have ones that you develop and you sell? How do you what ones do you like? So <laughs> I kind of have a thing about templates. <laughs> I have I have worked with a lot of people on their Notion workspaces. I used to actually be an instructor for about a year in the Notion Mastery course, which is not mm -hmm. a Notion course, it's a separate course, but mm -hmm. I, I've answered a lot of questions. And nine times out of 10, templates end up not being used the way they're intended or not being used at all. And so I like to call it the template graveyard. I've met so many people <laughs> that said, I got so-and-so's template and I'm just not using it. Or I, and they have a collection of all of these templates that they had really good intentions. One of the, one of the problems often is that the template is just more than that person needs. Right. So an example, actually, Thomas Frank, that that is a very detailed template. And if you do not understand how Notion works or you just don't need that level of sophistication, right. it's probably going to be too much for some people, maybe a lot of people. But right. if you <laughs> understand, if you understand how his system works and, and it works for you, that's great. I've met people who absolutely love it. That it, it works so well for them. Those people understand how it works. They understand and then they need that level. A lot of people, especially if you're just starting out, that's probably not the place that I would start. I was, I would, <laughs> I think a template is great for inspiration and then you actually build <laughs> right. yourself. And I know that sounds daunting. And the reason you get a template is so you can save time and hit the ground running. But if you try to hit the ground running with a template, you don't really understand, you are going to bump up against friction and walls and it's just not going to work. Even simple templates. So I downloaded someone else's library template. And it took me almost a year of this little bit of friction. Every time I used it, I would enter things in there or clip them from the web. And then the list of different terms for tagging, I would never use those terms. And so <laughs> I didn't realize that not taking the time up front to customize, streamline it so that it's in my language, it's with words that I would use, it's how my brain operates, so my, at the end of the day, so first of all, use templates for inspiration. Absolutely. If you do want to use someone else's template, make sure you understand how it works. Make sure that it's actually solving your problem. And if it's trying to do too many things, that's a warning sign to stay away. I would immediately, once you download it, clear out anything you don't need right away. Just right. delete properties that you don't need <laughs> and change the wording right away because each time you use it, there's just like a little, just a little bit of friction. And we want to try to eliminate as much friction as possible in your Notion workspace so that it actually is saving you time and not taking more time to use. Right. And it's true with like even Thomas Frank's ones, there's a lot of stuff in there and I don't use I, honestly all of it. I use a lot of it, but mm -hmm. I, I've made modifications and stuff, but he's got like a whole community to explain his template. Like it's that yeah. detailed. Um, so, but it's, it's helped. It really helped me because I was so scattered everywhere to get focused and really, cause I'm yes. like, I, I cannot forget to put this episode out. Like I need these things to be organized and it's, it's up right 100%. now, like on my side of my thing. I have one for social media live. I have one for guys show. I have my short form content. I have my Amazon stuff. All of it's organized now, which I needed desperately. So, but I loved yeah. your idea. Like most people don't need it. Like they just don't. It's, so my, my biggest advice 
This is actually for not just Notion, but almost everything you do in your life. It's, it works for Notion, it works for online presenting, it works for your studio tech, as simple as possible, but no simpler. Mm -hmm. So strip away to what you need, but sometimes we actually do need to add a layer of complexity to make things run smoother. And so as soon as you bump up against friction, that's usually a sign that there's something that needs addressing in your system whether that's your studio setup, whether that's how you're presenting something, or whether that is your notion space. And so as you, as you start to notice, okay, this isn't working right. I feel like I'm being slowed down, go in and analyze what's happening. Why am I being slowed down? How can I improve this? Then add that and stop and see how that goes. But I think a lot of people start with too much, or if you think of the analogy with the studio setup, people will see that I had a lot of clients who would tell me, okay, I've got the ATEM. And I would say, okay, why? Do you need a camera switcher? They're like, what? No, all these, all these YouTubers right. have it, so I bought it. I was like, well, if it's not solving a problem, it's just taking up space on your desk. Same thing with Notion. If you download a template and it's got all of these customizations and databases and pages and properties that you don't need, then it's just taking up space. And we mm. want to streamline and really just keep things to what you actually need in order to run a tight ship. So that's great advice. <laughs> great advice. All right. Now that you've got me curious, where am I spending, <laughs> where am I spending the rest of my day? You know, where, where do I start? What resources do you have some videos that you recommend me starting with on your channel or other people? Yeah. What's, what's the rest of my day look like now? <laughs> so, okay. I actually, I am starting a new channel. I've got the channel and I started to set up my Ecamm to record the new content, but then I went away on vacation. So that's not ready yet. I I do have a couple of, of videos about Notion on my channel. I, uh, this is hard because Notion is a little bit like the Wild West and so many people make content on it. I think the important thing is to understand the basics. I do know Notion, that Thomas Frank, sorry, has an introductory video, kind of a mm -hmm. 101. It's I have good. a couple of videos on my workspace as well. A video that I have, that I have a video series that I recorded live a couple of years ago. So there are things that have absolutely changed since then, but I've had people comment even in the last month or two that said, oh, this is clicking now because as I'm built, it's a live build. I'm basically building a content database on a live stream. And I explain why I'm adding things. And I think that I've gotten good feedback from that series that people understand, okay, why is she doing this? Why is she adding this property? Why is she choosing it this way, not this way? If you decide to watch that, I will just say that lots, there are lots of new features that Notion has come out with, including the status property. So back then I used just a, a select property to do the status, but now there's actually a status property. That's probably one of the biggest changes, but I am working on making content for beginners to really help people to onboard because you might go and watch a video. And if you see people clicking around too fast because they are experts right. at Notion, then that might be overwhelming. And it's just not necessarily a good place to start. Yeah. There's a lot you can do with it. Here's a great question from Jamie J. He goes, so why not just use Google workspace? Uh, okay. Where do I start? <laughs> I, you know what? First I will say notion is not for everyone. Right. And so I, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you start to explore how, why people are such super fans or ambassadors of the product, 
it's because something has clicked in a way that other products haven't. I used to jump from product to product to product. I mentioned this before this before the stream that I've used Evernote, I've used Trello, I've used Asana, I have used tried to use Outlook, Bullet Journal, you name them. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them would would not last very long, and then I would hop to the next thing, hop to the next thing. I haven't touched another product, nor have I really looked into other products since finding Notion, and sure. that's been that was in 2020, and it just works and for me, for my brain, and for me, it's the flexibility because what. What Notion does that Google currently can't do, I know they're trying to, they're doing some things to try and mimic Notion, is that I can build a dashboard. So I have a company page. When I land on that page, I can see all my upcoming projects. I can see all my services and products, and I can see all of my upcoming content that's scheduled, republished, or recently posted, and all in one page. And then I can click and access and get the work done so much faster. So I not only capture information into my notion workspace it is where i actually do the work and execute it so i plan my projects in there i track my tasks for my projects in there i write my content i you know i I structure the outline for presentations for youtube then i track i track things so how is the content going it really is an all-in-one workspace and now they just launched a couple days ago the notion calendar and so i can actually see some of my notion tasks or my notion content in my calendar with everything else so it's just it's got everything consolidated i am not flipping around to a hundred different apps i'm in one app 90 percent of the time yeah that it is a game changer it really is you said it's not for everyone for me for captioned information and then also just being able to have my all my client links where like I can just click and go right to their web page and it's open and I can just, it's all on this dashboard makes it so much faster and easier that you're not hunting for things. Uh, and it's got AI built into it now, um, as well, which is pretty cool. But yeah. anyway, we need to have a whole notion. We need to have you back and have a whole notion like master course from cat. Cause this has been amazing. Uh, but I want to be, you know, uh, you know, respectful of your time cat, but before we go, let everybody know where they can find you, what you got cooking. You got this new notion thing coming up. Um, but anything else mm-hmm. you want to share with us for people can find out more about you. I, most of what I do is either I talk about virtual presenting on YouTube and then I talk about notion more now on LinkedIn. And those are kind of the two platforms that I have found work well for me and my style. I do not make short form content. I am not on Reels or TikTok or any of that <laughs> just because it's not, it just doesn't, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I won't get yeah. into that. Yeah. And, and on my website, I do have a sort of start here page that breaks down some of the core type of content that I teach. And so that's also a nice sort of starting place as well if people want to learn more about what I do. But I would say, if you're interested in the Notion stuff, LinkedIn, if you're interested in the virtual presenting YouTube, and then soon there'll be some Notion YouTube, but it's it's not there yet. It's coming. Awesome. Well, Kat, this has been amazing. And I want to make sure for those people listening on the podcast that they get your uh, name right, because I probably it's Mulva Hill. Did I say it right? Yes. Mulva Hill. Hill. Yeah. OK. And it's spelled uh, it's C-A-T-M-U-L-V-I. H I L L dot com is where you can find all about uh, more about Kat. She has amazing videos, uh, amazing content. Um, I can't wait till her notion stuff comes out because I'll probably just scrap everything and start over. Um, <laughs> but I'm real excited for that. Paul Gowder, where can people find out more about you? Paul or come join us next week on the meet at the meetup. 
right before yeah. PodFest. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you, Peg, for stopping by. Uh, thank you, Jim. Jim is really excited about the, the Notion content. We will talk to you later. Bye. Social Media News Live.